it's important to buy only those products made with pasteurized milk. No, I was going to say that. Why <laughs> pasteurized? Because unpasteurized or raw milk from cows, sheep, goats, They're or other animals can carry bacteria that can make you sick, mm. like salmonella, yep. E. coli, yep. Campylobacter, and Listeria. <laughs> That's right. What What is your first your first gut response? So it's not just milk that can be contaminated. It's What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Masters of Sport podcast. And we are here today with special guest, Mark Lopez, VMD. And we're going to dive deep into some of the best, I guess it would be best topic around a recovery drink. So, Mark, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Dane. Good to have you here at the farm again. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's been, a, it's been a while since I've been here. Um, I want to go into, first I want to go into your background, and, and, and before we dive deep into sort of spilling the beans on what we're going to be talking about, I want to know what you did and in, in how you got into you know, being a, a vet and then essentially leading into what you did with factory farming or, or what would be called factory farming and, and, and sort of like your, your prior life, your yeah. prior existence. Yeah, well, you know, uh, after high school, I took off about 12 years between high school and college, I was trying to be a rock star. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually true too, right? Well, yeah, yeah. no doubt about it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, that clearly wasn't going to happen. And so I went through this like life, you know, reevaluation. And uh, it was on my way up here with a friend of mine, uh, Jonathan Fisher. And uh, I said, oh, I don't know what's going on in my life. You know, I'm going to be 29 soon. And, and uh, he said, well, just think about... Think about a job where even on its worst day, you come home and you're still glad to be doing what you're doing. He said, think about that. And if you can think of what that is, do it. Whatever it takes, just do that thing. And um, see, this is my grandfather's farm and then it was my uncle's farm. And I remember as a kid, cow having trouble, the veterinarian coming out, pulling a calf out. And I thought like, yeah, cow veterinarian. Yeah, yeah. I could handle that not knowing anything <laughs> about what it, what it really was like. He was just the hero that showed up and solved the problem. And so uh, you know, I said, okay, I'll be a cow vet, a dairy cow vet. And so that's what you did. Yeah, yeah. So I had, went to college and went to vet school and majored in food animal production. And, and, uh, and then I got out and I got a job, my first job that I accepted was in Texas. Okay. And, and at um, this this point, you were at Penn. Yes. Graduated from Penn, which is in Philadelphia. Yes. And then you're moving to Texas. Yeah, I lived in Philadelphia for 20 years. Okay. Yeah, it's a different city by the time I leave. I left, you right, know. Right. And uh, I was in for different. All right. When I got to Texas, it was <laughs> it was it was a different world. I was out in Stephenville in Erath County, Texas. Okay. Big dairy county. I mean, it's just dairies. Are just, 2,000 cows, you know, dairies. There are big dairies out there. And um, I worked out there as a dairy cow veterinarian doing surgeries. And So, yeah, what, what, would, that, what would that entail? If you're working specifically with uh, uh, commercial dairies, large, like 2,000 heads, uh, what, what kind of problems do they see, you know, and, and were you working at one dairy or were, were you working at multiple different dairies? What kind of issues would you see on a regular basis? <clears throat> dairy cow veterinarians spend uh, 
get on the get called out to the farm most frequently to do a pregnancy exam. Okay. Do preg check. Okay. Um, they also get called out to do uh, uh, things like a DA surgery, displaced abomasum surgery. Very very common surgery. You do it as a field surgery mostly. So you're actually operating on a cow out in the middle of a pasture. Uh, in a barn, hopefully. Okay. Yeah, okay. but um, yeah. You can haul them in. And you'd be surrounded by thousands of other cows, or is that separated from where you're at? I'd be, yeah, you can do it surrounded by animals and all <laughs> kinds of things going on. What you find, what I've found, with, when you're doing abdominal surgery, like field surgery, all right, um, it's really, really helpful to be fast. Okay. Get in, get out, because time is equal to trauma in the barnyard. Okay. And so if you can if you can know exactly where to cut and where to go in there and just fix this thing real quick and sew it up, um, you, the cows do a lot better. A okay. lot better. I mean. So would you spend time on one specific farm or would you, would you fly around? Like how, how would that be laid out? Big dairies. And then I graduated up to, I, I started my own business up in the panhandle and the dairy herds weren't just 2,000 cows. They were... 4,000 cows, 7,000 cows, 12,000 cows. 12,000 cows. Mm -hmm. So 12,000 people to me is a substantial, you know, if I was going to a football game or something, 12,000 people is a lot. 12,000 cows would be, you know, and every cow approximately weighs 1,000 to (laughs) 1,500 pounds. So we're looking at... Biomass. Yeah, 18,000 pounds of or, or more of just cattle walking around yeah yeah big dairies and and how is is that in a specific like in a tight location or because i've i've driven through uh, parts of oklahoma or parts of of texas and there's and kansas especially where there's more like classic factory farms where you're like you see cows almost stacked up on one another is that the style or is it more open because it is in texas what you probably see what you're describing probably was a feedlot. Okay, okay. A beef feedlot. Okay. That's what people like see when you're driving down the highway and well, you like see 70. like acres and acres and acres of cattle, 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 cattle. That's a beef, probably it's a beef feedlot. Okay. All right. And that's a whole different, literally, I mean, it's a whole different animal. It's, it's the same species, but they're just so different. The, the style of, of husbandry is different. The task is different. Their job is a whole different thing than dairy cows. Okay. You probably, if you're driving down a road, you probably aren't seeing a whole bunch of dairy cows. Okay. That's just not the way it works out. Um, dairy cows are housed differently. They can be outside and, and pastured like mine, even the big, even the big herds, but that's not what you're going to be seeing. I would go to a farm, like say a seven thousand cow dairy farm. And just work on that farm for the day. Okay. Get it all done. Do preg check on, you know, two, three, four hundred cows. Um, do some surgeries. Two, three, four hundred. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the most I ever preg checked in one day was 730. Holy shit. That hurt. Yeah. So, okay. So this, you know, I want to sort of fast forward because the whole reason that we're here is now... Fast forward 20, 25 years. Mm-hmm. Now we're in Pennsylvania. You're in Pennsylvania. You mm-hmm. have a raw milk dairy uh, certified by the state of Pennsylvania. And you provide what I believe to be probably the best recovery drink for strength and conditioning, for sports performance, and for 
overall health for uh, anyone who's into general fitness. So maybe take us through the spark that for, that 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 led you to here, where you're at now, and that vision that you had, and then you know what raw milk is. Okay. Well, when I went into dairy, uh, when I first got my first job, I thought that I was going to. Being young and all, I thought that I was going to transform, you know, the world. Yeah, 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 I was going to bring change to the world, and I quickly saw that I wasn't going to. In fact, um, I started to get frustrated. I started to see that I was, I was just perpetuating the problem. I was, I was being a part of the problem by perpetuating it. It, um, and so I wasn't going to change the dairy industry. It was going to change me if I stuck in it. And I was getting, I got tired of Texas too. So my wife and I decided to, uh, we're not going to live here. We're not going to raise kids here. Let's go home. Right. I walked away from a pretty good business. Um, and we moved back here and I didn't have a plan. Um, I moved back to my uncle's farm. It was my grandfather's farm. There was nothing here. There was no cows. The buildings were falling apart. Um, I did meet your uncle like the first... I think 2008, 2009. I remember meeting him early on. Mm -hmm. I think that maybe, was that like part of the transition time of you taking over? Or? Yeah, yeah. He said, just come on back, do something with the farm. I'm not doing anything with it. Okay. And um, so what I decided to do is uh, I'm going to pasture some Ayrshire cows and maybe I'll make cheese or do something like that. No real plan. <laughs> <laughs> what made you choose Ayrshires uh, specifically? Uh, they, I guess draw, draw out what, what does an Ayrshire look like? Ayrshire is a smaller cow. They're from uh, the Scottish town of Ayr. That's where the breed was developed, A-Y-R. Okay. Okay. So they're a like, cool weather cow. They graze really well. Good cheese yield. Um, good temperament, I think. They're nice cows. They're right. cute. Right. You know? <laughs> They're better looking than jerseys. Oh, he went there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Jersey cows would be another, a, a whole nother breed of cows that uh, I, I feel like are the, uh, I think are sort of known as like in the foodie world, like the, the Mercedes Benz of like nice, you know, nice, uh, uh, breeds of cow that have high fat. Uh, I feel like people that are into grass fed stuff, they, they love Jersey cows. Yeah. I remember, and the only reason I know a little bit about this is my brother has jerseys, and I still remember getting into an argument that your milk tastes better than any milk that he had. That that because he doesn't milk, but other other cows that uh, in his area that have Jersey cows, and he'd be like, "There's no way it's better. Jersey's got way more milk fat." Blah blah blah. And in the first time he had your milk, he's like, "Dude, this this Ayrshire. I think you might be right about the Ayrshires." <laughs> <laughs> but to to me too, like the Ayrshires would be like if you're driving through Pennsylvania or, or wherever, you see a Holstein, which is a classic commercial cow. They're making uh, you know the the tons and tons of milk. The brown spotted cows would be an Ayrshire. They're making what I growing up you're like oh that's a, that's where you can get your chocolate milk from. Yeah, oh, right, so, right. So that brown would be brown cow like, chocolate milk. Yeah, to try and paint that picture for people, that's what a, an Ayrshire would look like. Yeah, they they can be white. They're pretty uh, outbred. Uh, they they can they have a good variety of look. They can be all white. Right. They can be solid brown. They can be big patches of brown and white. They can be mottled brown and white. So like this deckled kind of look. Right. So right. they they can look a lot of different ways. Holsteins all kind of look like Holsteins. Jerseys all look like jerseys. Right. 
you know, the brown Swiss look like brown Swiss, and same thing with the shorthorns, really. And the Guernseys all look like Guernseys, but Ayrshires... They have a little bit yeah, different look, yeah. They celebrate diversity. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's something that we celebrate here at Masters of Sport Podcast. Um, okay, so you, so you come back, you, you get into, you know, you're starting to make some cheeses. What sparks that interest in raw milk and what sparks that uh, leading into it? And tell us what raw milk actually is. Uh, and where it comes from, how it happens, how it occurs, and why, what makes it raw. Well, okay, I thought I'd milk cows and make cheese, and I didn't have a business plan. Bad idea. Do not start any business without <laughs> I a business disagree. Plan. Start as many businesses as possible with as little of a plan, and then figure it out 10 years later. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what I did, actually, and it worked. So maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Um, anyway, so I started uh, selling raw milk and um, hoping people would just drive down the road and a couple people did. You were one of them, yeah. actually. <laughs> you were one of those idiots. <laughs> <laughs> I was the idiot. Um, and it really didn't sell well until I started selling in stores, wholesaling it to stores like okay. Kimberton Whole Foods around right. here. They're great. Right. Um, the cheese thing didn't work out because so many good cheesemakers around here, they, you know, Sue Miller down at Birch Run, they, she makes the best cheese that, that you, you can eat. And I can't compete with people like that. Right. You know, right. and so I, I decided I was just going to go in for yogurt and kefir and raw milk, okay. you know. So what's kefir? Kefir is fermented. It's basically drinkable yogurt. Yep. You know, yeah. it's one of the oldest uh, processing uh, milk processes you can do. It's found. Uh, Caucasus Mountains. Yeah, like 600 from. years ago. Yeah. You know? maybe, maybe even a little bit longer. Maybe even longer. Because I, I think that there's even evidence that Genghis Khan's military was drinking uh, horse mare or mare's kefir when they were sort of conquering all the way into Europe is like how that that all basically started. They were pretty badass, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. So and I, now their DNA is all over the world. It's in, it's in you and I probably <laughs> to, to, to some extent. Something to think about. Yeah. <laughs> so what what exactly, you, you have your cows out on pasture. Yeah. They're eating uh, grass, clover, right? They're, they're consuming this and then they're creating it. And I, you, you always describe it as a tissue, as a living tissue. Yes. Walk us through that process. Uh, the, the biology of what's going on and then how that turns into a milk product and then what makes raw milk so powerful, what makes it, you know, even to the point of what it does for a cow when, mm. a, when a heifer is born, what does that do f for that heifer health-wise? There's a lot in that question, Dane. Yeah, uh, it might so take us three hours. You might. Well, let's see if we can get it done quickly. It, you can't talk about milk, just milk in general, without acknowledging that it comes from the soil. So, um, it starts with the, the soil and the, the, the funguses in the soil and the microbial life in the soil providing nutrients to the grasses. And the, the, the nutrients go into the grasses and the weeds and anything, anything the cow finds uh, edible out there, they eat it. Now the, it goes into the cow's rumen and it, uh, it gets fermented in the rumen. What's rumen? The rumen is her, it's a fermentation vat. Okay. It, it's, the, it's the big chamber of the stomach of a cow. And, How uh, many stomachs does a cow have? Well, it's got one digestive tract with four big pockets. Okay. Okay. Um, so the rumen is the biggest pocket where it's just a big vat made of rumen muscle. Okay. And it churns and it, it ferments. And in there you have the accumulation of, uh, of the fats from the plants, the CLAs. And the CLAs spill out into the cow's 
blood and into her milk and into her meat and into her fat. And um, it absorbs, she absorbs these uh, volatile fatty acids like acetic acid and propionic acid, butyric acid through the wall of the rumen. And that's what powers the cow. Then, um, so that's what, that's the energy that goes into the milk. The acetic acid turns into, uh, drives uh, milk volume and the propionic acid uh, uh, drives the uh, milk fat. So um, if I got that wrong, I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Anyway, the, the, the fermentation process actually makes the milk makes the product, the, the, the ingredients of the milk that get thrown together in the udder, okay? So inside of the udder, you have a lot of blood flow and you have, you have these cells that are arranged in a bunch of tiny cul-de-sacs, much like a lung. You picture alveoli in a lung, but it's milk-producing cells. Mm-hmm. And um, so the milk gets, uh, gets turned into, it's basically a lot of water, about 80% water. You might have about five some percent sugars that's lactose okay you might have depending on uh depending on uh the lactation cycle and what she's eating you might have about what 3.7 four point or more percent milk all right and uh the uh that's uh, i said fat milk fat and then the protein is about 3.1 percent protein protein is really important in uh to the to whoever eats the milk, whether it's a human or a calf, all right? Because these proteins, these whey proteins, there's the casein protein, that's what we make cheese out of, all right? But the whey protein is really important. You want whey protein in your body, all right? Because these whey proteins come out and you got like your alpha-lactalbumin and your beta-lactoglobulin. These guys are, when they're intact, they help you to absorb nutrients like iron. They have, they, uh, they, they're, they're basically, they act like, almost like hormones in your body, turning on the right switches in your body, all right? They, they have bactericidal activity, okay? These whey proteins are more than nutrients. They're more than the amino acids that you digest them into. They are biologically active and you want them working in your body. They are your friends. Okay, so that's really important too. You think of milk, milk protein as being casein. Well, it is, but there's also the whey proteins. Super important to the calf and to you. Right. Okay, so in there, the the udder kind of assembles all of them all together, and there's also micronutrients, the minerals and such, and you have a ultimately a very nutritious, highly nutritious, dense, packed meal. That the and calf, so that would also have phosphorus, zinc, absolutely, um, the micronutrients, calcium, absolutely, vitamin, uh, vitamin D to a point, also vitamin A. Uh, would vitamin A be what sort of gives it, especially in the summer, that that yellow tint? Yeah, these these keratins, you know. Also, yeah, there's that's it's super, it's super dense in fresh cows. That's a cow that just had a baby. Okay, okay. you know, because these calves are scrambling to put together. Uh, growth. So that's basically what's happening then is like that milk all gets created as you just eloquently described it. Um, and then a, a calf uh, it, to, to survive or to thrive mm-hmm. is going to be eating that. Now, I guess walk us through how that, that produces or helps create such uh, prominent growth and, and, and recovery on a daily basis for a calf. Yeah. Well, the, okay. Here's the thing about calves. 
calves, um, their DNA commands that they grow. They will grow. They will get bigger, even if they're undernourished. Okay. Okay. The the difference is if a calf is undernourished, it'll it'll grow at the expense of a strong immune system. Okay. It just won't thrive, and it'll be much more likely to maybe grow, but be less muscle mass. Maybe grow and have more disease processes going on. Maybe grow and have you know immune. Its immune system not regulated, either overactive or underactive. Mm-hmm. It may grow until it dies. Right. So you need to have the macronutrients, all, all the nutrients in order, macro and micronutrients all in order. So, I mean, it's all quite simple. The calf would consume the proteins, for example, and the fats for the energy and, and for the uh, basically for regulation. The fats also play a role in, and it gets in its bloodstream, and there you have all the building blocks and DNA says to the calf you got to expand this bone you got to make this muscle dense you got to you got to make this these ant these immune antibodies and now it has the currency to build to do that yeah right so it, i guess that that would be a, a, a question i have then is like when you're drawing this picture when you're painting this picture i'm seeing okay this cow that might weigh 1200 pounds needs to grow and uh, genetically it's been taught that the best way for it to grow is to consume this product the milk right the raw mm-hmm. milk that's coming out you know of course me um i jump to it, i go all right well if if we're doing uh lifting or resistance based training this likely will also if it works for a 1200 pound cow it probably is going to work for human beings i make that jump i want to know how you handle Let's say I make that jump and I get into a debate with somebody as as a human. Go ahead. Why should human beings consume dairy? And no, you know, this is a classic argument. No other no other mammals are are harboring or or using dairy products. Why should I? Why should us? Why should we be doing this if if no other mammals out there are doing that? Well, we can. It's a it's a high protein high fat, high energy, high nutrient food to eat. It's the perfect food. Why should we? Well, we, we can. We, we could eat grass and it wouldn't work. Right. You know, we could eat tree leaves that are falling around us and we wouldn't get the nutrients out of it. I mean, this is a pretty good deal for us. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's the perfect food. Look at what it does for calves. It makes them thrive and grow and get strong and, and they're, they're go from these, Hundred pound helpless little things to being these these monsters, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I, and I and we we sort of talked about this earlier, you know, when we walked around the the, the farm, and and I think one of the interesting parts is, you know, when people bring that argument to me, I'm always like, well, we're also the only mammals that drive cars and live in a house, yeah. so like this is sort of like a weird argument, but. The other factor that you brought up is is the health of the soil. The bacteria in the soil can actually lead to a healthier gut, and if uh, in human beings, and if that can lead to, you know, if that if the healthy soil, the fungi and the bacteria in the soil leads to uh, a better uh, milk product, then that milk product then can help that that animal help the cow grow, and that can also help us grow as well. So there's sort of like an environmental factor here that's very progressive i think i mean it's not you know progressive in the sense that it it's this as you said everything works together sure milk gives back to the soil 
you know, dairy cows, dairy, dairy farms produce a lot of cow manure, right. no doubt about it. And that's sometimes used as a bludgeon, like, oh, the manure is getting into the Chesapeake Bay. Okay, okay, maybe that is a problem. So we have storage units, and then we spread it on the soil at the right time, and the manure goes into the soil, and it replenishes. It's good. You need to have that. Otherwise, you're just taking out of the soil, because what comes out of the soil has to somehow get back into the soil. Mm-hmm. Got to replenish it. And dairy dairy gets a, a bad rap, and that's not fair. It's not, it's not correct. Milk... Milk is a good food for people, and milk is actually good for the soil. When your cows walk out there and graze, they're fertilizing the ground, the same ground that they took the, uh, the, the nutrients back out of. It's a good plan. We're also not shipping feed ingredients halfway across the country. They're walking on out there. That, that's the trucking. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, they're walking out there. Yeah, yeah. I guess something I wanted to touch on, too, is like, I, I like to think about, okay, so if, if I buy a gallon of your milk, right, mm-hmm. um, we use that gallon, we we drink the milk, we do whatever we will have. We also have your yogurt, sometimes kefir. Sometimes we'll make our own kefir, sometimes we get yours. Usually, usually I will admit we usually will make our own kefir, but we use your Good. yogurt every week. If I take your yogurt, that little liquid the yellow liquid i would say is that would be way mm-hmm. and and we'll also use that to soak oats overnight so we soak our oats overnight and i've always felt like the oats end up to me being more flavorful and probably nutritious in the morning so i guess my main question or or maybe it's even just a statement is like the diversity of how we use the the milk products and the, how we use the yogurt is so prolific that i think it does lead even further to helping you digest other foods as well and mm-hmm. i don't know if you could touch on that or yeah well it's, that's what happens with fermentation that's one of the cool things it doesn't just save the food it brings a it brings a new uh, a new nutritional element to it you're right i mean it's interesting you soak the you soak the oats in the whey yeah so we actually take out our oatmeal or oats um yeah we get an echo hill Mm-hmm. And then we'll lay it out, and then we'll uh, in a bowl, and then we'll put about three tablespoons away over top of it, so it soaks overnight. And then we put we do put in a little bit of water, but then in the morning it has just a hint of like a sour smell, just a little bit mm-hmm. of a sour smell. Mm-hmm. And then that's what we use when we actually we will heat it. I don't know if it gets to you know to pasteurization, but it'll get you know around probably around 130 degrees. Yeah. Um, that is one thing I also wanted to ask you is. What happens to proteins, to calcium, to um, fats, even to a point when, you know, so your milk is not pasteurized and you can consume this as long as it has under, uh, I think, 10 CFUs, which we could touch on a little bit. But what happens if that milk that yours that you would sell, let's say you do pasteurize it and you sell it as pasteurized milk, what occurs uh, what what does that go through? What do those minerals and vitamins and and can that can those proteins even get negatively impacted by pasteurization or is that is yeah. that just me um, making that up because I no, don't like okay so you know if you're when you're pasteurizing you're adding a lot of energy into this into the system think of it as a system and you're putting energy into it um, so when you're adding energy you you uh, to a system like this. The molecular structures can change because the molecules are have a higher net kinetic energy. That's what heat is. You're adding, making the molecules move around. So the more energy you're putting in, the more heat you're putting in, the more the molecules are moving about, and you can 
you can um, you can even um, denature some of these proteins that won't go back to their to their natural conformation. Um, so that's what happens with. It's my staff leaving. <laughs> uh, that's what the, the casein proteins, they'll still make cheese after pasteurization. The whey proteins, they get denatured. So those biologically active whey proteins don't survive pasteurization okay. to be biologically active. They still have the n- nutritional value in terms of like uh, digesting and reabsorbing their amino acids after breaking down. So they have that value, but it's not this, this uh, biologically active whey protein so you're losing something out of that when you when you pasteurize when you pasteurize at ultra high temperatures like the high like the high high temperature pasteurization so it'd be like 160 100 maybe 185 degrees Fahrenheit. yeah yeah the ultra pasteurizing i think they raised it to like it's like 200 it's okay. it's pretty crazy yeah and pasteurization is typically known as around 160 is like the starting point yeah, well, there's kind of three levels of pasteurization. There's bulk, there's a like vat pasteurization, which is what I do for the yogurt. That's 145 degrees for 30 minutes. And then you have, um, and if I get any of these numbers wrong, I'll have to apologize. Uh, then you have the, um, then you have it at 180 for, uh, for 15 seconds, I think. Okay. And then you can have it. Oh, I'm going to screw that. It's 165 for 15 seconds. You have higher levels in shorter time. And the, ho- okay. the hotter it is, the less time you have to have is the right. point I'm trying to make. Right. Um, the pasteurized milk ordinance has all of this in exquisitely boring detail. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's a, that's a quick question, too, is like, what is it like, you know, you're regulated by the state. And I know my brother will talk about this quite a bit as well with his farm, but he just, he... How does that feel with someone who's not in the in the nitty gritty dealing with the product that you want to bring out? How does that feel when they come in and try and tell you you're doing something poorly? You have a barn swallow flying around that can't be in the in the milking parlor. Who are you talking about? The consumers, the inspectors, the inspectors, the, the inspectors. I have a pretty good relationship with my inspector. Okay. I've got one, two three different inspectors i got the fda inspector that comes in here in here every six months they're the feds you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're the harsh ones yeah you know but they're you know they're reasonable you know they just want it clean really okay they want they want they want it clean they want your paperwork right it's, so really they're maybe they're not as annoying as i painted that picture out to be it's more like look just keep your shit together pretty much yeah okay. pretty much okay that's fair that's, yeah that's very fair okay so mark one of the things i i did want to do this is more so jason's idea but i i think this is going to be fun okay is that the fda has a video on the dangers of unpasteurized milk yes sir and <laughs> and i'm sure these dangers exist to a point in uh if you're buying it from one of the seven thousand uh, dairy head farms that you used to work on potentially um but we're gonna watch this and i want to see your response here I w- or i i want to i want to watch it and go through what, what your thoughts are okay okay a cold glass of milk goes great Do you like with the music foods. yeah it's great milk and milk products have a lot of vitamins and calcium but it's important to buy only those products made with pasteurized milk. I was going to say that. Why (laughs) pasteurized? Because unpasteurized or raw milk from cows, sheep, goats, or other animals 
can carry bacteria that can make you sick, mm. like Salmonella, yep. E. coli, yep. Campylobacter, and Listeria. <laughs> That's right. Pasteurization <laughs> heats milk to a high temperature for a short period of time, which kills disease-causing bacteria. It would. These harmful bacteria usually don't change the look, taste, or smell of milk, and you can only be sure that they're not in your milk if it's been pasteurized. Some people believe that hey, drinking let's, raw milk so let's pause is more there. nutritious. What What is your first your first gut response? Or or I mean, in all reality, she's not saying anything that's wrong. No, yet. she's not saying anything wrong. Anything that's contaminated with these bad bugs is going to be contaminated food. So you you have so it's not just milk that could be contaminated. It's your peanut butter. It's your cantaloupes. We know from that listeria yeah, outbreak. To tomatoes. Anything. Yeah can be contaminated with something filthy. And if you eat it, then you're eating contaminated food. It's like it's... when people take a shit out in the out in the garden and then they pick their <laughs> tomatoes and then they put them and they get sent to grocery stores. This actually has happened. And we've had outbreaks of, of E. coli from that. Yeah, quick story. I was I was at I was <laughs> at the Reading Terminal. Shitting in no, the... <laughs> no, 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 no. I was at the Reading Terminal market and I saw these guys carrying a pallet full of Brussels sprouts and oh, they lost control of the pallet and all these stacks of trays of Brussels sprouts. The, the Brussels sprouts went all rolling into the filth, the, the unspeakable filth of the brown water in the back of the trucking area. And the two guys looked at each other, oh, we're gonna get fired. So they quick scrape oh, up all shit. the Brussels sprouts, put them back in the trays and they took them out there and they sold them. Yeah. And so, okay, all right. So what happened with those Brussels sprouts? Well, you could say, well, the people took them home and they washed them off and they cooked them. That's what happened. So therefore it was safe. Yeah. All right. The Brussels sprouts also, people like were touching them with their hands and that yep. they, they touched everything else. So it's possible for anything to be contaminated. You don't know where that Brussels sprout has been, That's my true, friend. Yeah. I, know? And I think, I mean, you know, as we're making a mockery of this video, I do think it's fair that like, there's regulations. Yes. There's reasons for things to be controlled and for things to, and for people to per, to to create products at, at as high of a quality product as possible. Mm -hmm. But it's more the fear mongering is is more so the issue than actual education and, and comprehension of what a food system really could and should become. Sure. Food safety is real. Food safety is important. Food safety is important on this farm. Food mm -hmm. safety should be important. Everywhere in the food production chain from the opening line all the way to the table. Food safety is important. Maintaining the cold chain, make, keeping it all clean, being clean prep, all of that. It's all very important. So in a raw milk farm, doing testing, yeah, we do a lot of testing. I want to know what my test results are. I like to brag about my test results, how clean the milk is. Less than one coliform per mil, like basically undetectable levels of coliforms, that means we're doing a good job. And so I like to know that. We have we test for all these things, Listeria, Campylobacter, comes back clear every time. We've never had a problem with that because we milk the cows clean. So if you want to have raw milk, I would say, yeah, it is important to uh, I, I, go ahead, ask your raw milk producer. What's your coliform count? And if he doesn't know, don't buy the milk. Right, right, yeah. I can tell you what my coliform count is. You can say, well, Mark, what was your highest coliform count you ever had? Have you ever, have, ever had a coliform problem? What are you have doing? Have you ever had over two? I've had, I've had, uh, yeah, I have. Okay. And I, it's... Um, and that's, 10's the limit. 
Yeah, 10 is the limit. For pasteurized and un unpasteurized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I start to see like, okay, there's a call, I get one coliform. Okay, that means that I'll have to keep it at zero. Forget okay. about the upper limit of 10. I like it at zero. So if there's one, I go back and I say, oh, it's probably a problem with uh, a cleaning issue. Okay. You know, with the pipeline. Right. You know? So, so it's, it's, it's almost, even, even to that point, it's probably less like, it's, in your case, it's easier to pinpoint a problem because you know the animals are being treated well. You know the animals are raised, raised humanely. You know they're outside. You know they're they're cows being cows, mm -hmm. um, and it's easier then to break down. Okay, this this bacteria this could exist. You you laid it out with listeria with us earlier, where it's very easy to find where listeria would be. It's likely going to be in a drain. It's likely going to be in specific spots. So then, if that comes back and you see it you can identify where that's going to be a lot easier than, than if your whole farm was just a total shit show. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, you want a well-managed farm. You know, if you go to the farm and you, you see, like like you said, you just, what, is this, what was that, shit show? Shit it, show. It, if you see that, <laughs> yeah. I think that's in the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture <laughs> handbook. It says, farm thou not be a shit show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you want to have a well-managed farm. Uh, so, I did want to ask this quick before we before we sort of sign off is why like why is it that to me there's like a pretty and I, I don't know for sure because I'm not in it like you are I, I was at a time uh, in the raw milk like scene like I'm not in the raw milk scene but I just feel like there's a, a good support supportive scene in Pennsylvania what is that you know I used to Kate my my wife's parents would almost threatened me that I was trafficking your milk when I would go to New Jersey to see them. And I would even, you know, visit friends there and sell them some of your milk as, I mean, transport your milk essentially. Mm -hmm. But what is it that, that makes Pennsylvania or other states, like, why is it legal here and not in other states? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's, I think it's a uh, respect for the tradition. Okay. Dairies, Pennsylvania is a really important dairy state. And there's some, there's a lot of really hardworking, dedicated farmers here. Uh, that do a that do a really excellent job. Pennsylvania milk is is a is a is a great uh, is a great feature of, of the, the, what the state can do. You know, it's not just these. I went to, I was working out in Texas and and in New Mexico and and Kansas and those guys sure make a lot of milk. But you know, Pennsylvania has got a long dairy tradition with lots of lots of expertise that goes back multiple generations. We got really good dairy farms here in Pennsylvania. And so that just has that that tradition sort of has played an impact on on where the culture's yeah developed here yeah now. yep so basically my takeaway is that one raw milk is safe if you know the farmer and if the farmer understands and knows their 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 CFUs their their coliform or per unit is that what it, colony what? forming units colony yeah. colony forming units and 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 what that test is going to be make sure the farm is clean uh, make sure the cows are raised out on pasture uh, and that's going to have a massive impact one environmentally but two even more so on the actual product of the milk and that's going to help if you're into resistance-based training if you're watching this podcast you likely are into resistance-based training that's going to help the protein the casein the, the whey protein uh, is going to help with that overall recovery and along with that the minerals the vitamins and minerals like phosphorus calcium vitamin a vitamin d um, magnesium all of those things are going to have a massive impact on your immune system 
your muscles and in turn um, even bones and anything along those lines. I, I actually wanted to ask you this quick before we do, do leave is now there's there's research in, in humans on uh, myokines and myokines are essentially uh, these these means of a communication that our muscles are communicating with our body like hey this myokine is noticing this is going on in a specific muscle that's going to lead to a positive impact huh. on, on immune systems and I didn't know if that's been brought up or discussed at all in in the dairy industry or not no no this is new to me and, and essentially it's just like not the you know there's a point of where having a large amount of muscle not that you want to have be absurdly hypertrophic but having more muscle later in age will help you with longevity and it's going to help you with life and then and then to me it all goes back to if i want to have more lean muscle mass mm -hmm. i need to be making sure that i can i'm eating well and i'm eating from a high quality source like your farm here at Wholesome Dairy Farm. It's high quality protein, that's for sure. Yeah. So what are we going to do? Are we going to pose with our shirts off now? <laughs> Maybe you can. <laughs> it, we can take it back to your days of rocking out in Philadelphia and, and, uh, and uh, having your mosh pits or whatever you did back in the day. <laughs> on a good day. <laughs> so Mark, thanks for being on the podcast and everybody out there, you can check him out at Wholesome Dairy Farms. What's your Instagram handle? Uh, grass Fed is Health Food. That's right. Grass Fed is Health Food. Until next time, guys. Peace.